Hey everyone, this is Javon. Uh, I am hosting the sixth episode of the World of Corner Walker. Uh, today I have a very special guest, a personal friend of mine, um, whether it was in the political field or whether it's just um, chitting and chatting with one another. Uh, Ariel Pena, say hi, Ariel. Hey everyone. Yeah, my name is Ariel. I'm a good friend of Javon. Funny thing, we actually met uh, when Javon was running for Congress. Uh, so I, didn't, I actually didn't know him before that. Uh, what was that, 2018, right? Yeah, yeah, 2018. It might have been, you know what, it could have been an RU Progressive. I don't I don't exactly know, but I think it, it could have been RU Progressive. I think uh, that might have been it. Peter Jacob was giving a speech. Um, he was just talking to RU Progressive, and it was kind of like, you know, inspiring me a little because I was I was running for Congress at the time, and then, like, I saw a candidate, but one that, you know, got very, very close. Uh, I believe in 2016 was when he ran it. He got very close to uh, snatching that uh, toss-up district. But uh, it was really awesome to be able to meet so many young kids um, that were the Bernie wing of the Democratic Party or just, you know, the liberal uh, social spectrum. And uh, you were one of them. And I see, you know, throughout the throughout the years since I first encountered that, you know, you've been politically active, you've been volunteering in so many different organizations and giving your time. And, you know, who knows? Um, who knows what the what the future is for you? But I can tell from your from your active status within so many different political fields that like you're you're a serious uh, candidate to run the future and like you've got a great future ahead of you. Yeah, and uh, 2020 has been rough for us out here with uh, the presidential election, really. We were all sitting here. I mean, what was it? In February, we all thought Bernie's going to run away with this thing. During, you know, Iowa happened. He won that pretty much, even though they kind of gave the win to Mayor Pete. At least the media did, but whatever. You know, he won Nevada resoundingly. He won New Hampshire by a pretty big margin. And everything went downhill from there. And then after that, you know, COVID happened. You know, we have the, you know, George Floyd got killed. Everything has just been a mess since then. Yeah, yeah. It looks like, you know what? Uh, I don't know if the, if the Australian fire didn't, like wildfire didn't, happened in January. I think all this shit started going downhill once you like went on social media and you found out that Kobe Bryant died. I think after that, just like everything went to the shitter. Oh yeah. Yo, so much has happened in 2020 so far. Like I keep forgetting, pretty sure didn't, didn't they like, pretty sure NASA just casually dropped so that they found UFOs or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That was about like 10, 10, 10 to 14 days ago. Uh, and like, because of COVID, like nobody, nobody really noticed. Nobody really. Yeah, uh, and then like for every thousand, for every thousand people in a line, maybe like ten of them would have, you know, followed up on that and tried to do some research. Like nobody, nobody really, um, nobody really paid attention to that revelation. Uh, right, and they also dropped that. Uh, there's a parallel universe out there where time flows backwards and all the stuff that everyone just kind of. <laughs> Everyone just carrying on, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you know what? There's there's always something at hand. 
um, that has preoccupied our minds from probably February up until now. I mean, think about what happened before COVID. If you were in the, if you were, you know, politically active, it was okay. So Bernie is up, Biden is, Bernie is running, Biden is running, Warren is running, and it's like, okay, we got like ten people, and who's going to be the first? person to like drop out and then you see bloomberg just like pummel like millions and millions into the into his campaign and then it was like okay well now bloomberg is in and making a complete ass and fool of himself and then it just became okay journey now who's gonna enter who's gonna drop out and then like it seemed like that was around january to february and then once covid started to creep into the u.s then our attention went from politics to uh covid and then for the last like two and a half to three months, it, it has gone from COVID to like the George Floyd uh, situation and the um, George Floyd uh, murder and um, and the subsequent riots and protests and looting that has taken taken place since then. So it's like there's there's always one major thing at hand, and then the rest of it is just thrown to the wayside because we always pay attention to the most, I guess, the most important thing at the time. Right. So, yeah. It's honestly, everything is just so unpredictable. Everything's kind of up in the air right now. Right. Like we're right. probably gonna have like a second Great Depression anytime soon. I mean, we're kind of are in one, and yeah, really, oh. I think the political implications are just gonna be, you know, something we haven't seen for a very long time. I mean, I feel like one thing, especially that we've from what we've seen with uh, Biden kind of floundering and. Honestly, it's, you know, a lot of people don't, don't like this, but I think Biden is someone who, I don't know, I don't see him making it to the finish line. If, if uh, you get what I'm saying, I mean, the dude half the time doesn't know where he is, <laughs> you know, and Trump is definitely going to capitalize on that, let alone the, you know, terror read allegations, all the stuff going on. And, you know, all these older Democrats are like, well, you had to support the Democrat, you got to the Democrat. But what they don't realize is that people my age, we're Democrats but like marginally so. We're Democrats because you can either be a Democrat or a Republican. And between the two, most folks are the Democrats, but no one's born a Democrat. No, no one my age is sitting there. Well, except for, um, I won't mention names, but uh, a good friend of ours on Facebook that we uh, argue with a lot. But most people my age aren't sitting there, you know, pledging their undying loyalty to the Democratic Party. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Biden ran on electability. I mean, like you said, half the time he's not there. Like me personally, it's um, I'm still it's still a toss up whether I vote for him or the Green Party, like presidential candidate. But like the dude is just like somebody is propping him up like he's like a puppet, you know, somebody got like a stick in his back and he's just like there. Um, there's nothing special about them. It's just that's that's our political system for the last you know, four to eight years. It's like it's rather reactionary. You don't know what you want or you don't get what you want. You know what you don't want and what you don't what I guess the majority of the country doesn't want is a left wing socialist. And it looks like now the majority of the country just doesn't want a right wing asshole. Um, so whoever's not of that is seems to be the most electable person and you know 77 years old it seems like and losing his mind like on a daily basis it seems like 
Joe Biden is the nominee to be president. I mean, I saw the uh, the results from last night's congressional primaries, and uh, Joe Biden just like completely like swept the nominate. Like he didn't he didn't get the nomination yet, but I think like he needs like a hundred or two hundred more delegates for him to win, um, right. which is pretty given. But um, you know, when you when you talk about those um, those old ass people in Congress. You know, you look at some of these races and like some of them, I, I predict it would be much closer than it was like the um, the chick out in uh, Maryland, Michaela Wilkes um, was like really propped up to be like a real fierce competitor uh, against Danny Hoyer, who is apparently he's 80 years old. Um, really? Wow. He's an, he's an old fuck. Um and uh he was challenging and well he's he's been the incumbent i think for like 30 to 40 years uh in maryland and like you know from the way that the marketing advertising i was getting and seeing all like all these you know big name magazines um covering her campaign and then i think like she got like 17 or 16 percent of the uh of the vote i don't know what the hell he got got like 70 something percent like in the high 70s and it's like damn like she raised like two hundred thousand dollars and it's like that's the result that happens man it's oh it's tough man it's it's really tough i mean how do you get a lot of these older people out of office and i mean you know younger people like us try to be politically active try to run for office or try to volunteer in organizations to actually be part of something that's a you know that's a greater good for your community around you um but like if the results don't show man it's 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 very i'm not gonna say it's pessimistic but it's you know it's very discouraging yeah i mean i have a few comments on that i feel like the electability issue is one that people talk about so much this election season i feel like the biggest problem with that is that conventional wisdom isn't always right and the safe choice isn't always the quote-unquote safe choice isn't always the best one i mean look at 2016. In 2016, everyone was like, well, Bernie's too radical, so we have to go with Hillary. And Hillary lost to Trump. You know, look at the WikiLeaks emails. They were like, oh, you know, we're going to prop up Trump on the Republican Party. These are Democratic strategists. They're sitting there like, we got to prop up Trump because he's so crazy radical and we can easily beat him. You know, that was literally their strategy, you know, the Pied Piper strategy. And guess what? Trump won. And Trump honestly probably was the only Republican who could have won that election because. The other ones, like Marco Rubio and Cruz, are out there saying, free trade, free trade, free trade. I'm going to cut Social Security and Medicare. And Trump, at the very least, lied and told people, you know what, I'm on your side. You know, I'm not going to you know, give in to China. I'm not going to you know, do all these trade deals. I'm not going to cut any of your benefits and stuff. And so he won those you know, Midwestern states, you know, the Rock Belt and whatnot. And the same thing with Biden. Everyone's like, he's the safe choice. He's the safe choice. But like, the dude half the time doesn't know where he is. Trump, like these <laughs> debates are going to be, they're going to be embarrassing. He's going to run circles around him. It's already so bad. Like if you've seen any of Trump's ads against Biden so far, like they actually hit. And that's as someone who, I mean, I'm most likely end up voting for Biden probably, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> it, I mean. Uh, the meme, the memes are pretty funny, man. And I think I said the Trump ad. I, I I shared it on Facebook, and it was like the uh, it was after Biden said that if you if you can't decide whether you can vote for me or Trump, you ain't black. And then like, oh Trump, my Trump, god, that was, that was that, like the the people in Ghana uh, at the funeral. <laughs> 
it's pretty dude, it's pretty clever man like i don't like i don't like trump but i can tell you what man i'm gonna be very um i'm very looking forward to like the the general debate if if they do get to go on stage against one it's it's gonna be like 2016 again but it's all gonna be personal attacks so i mean like biden you if you're a left-wing person you can easily argue against uh against biden's record and shit like that but like Trump isn't worried about his political record, dude. It's all like personal attacks, like you're old, you don't even know where you're at. Like it's just, I'm 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 really gonna enjoy like thoroughly enjoy that. Cause it's like it's it's gonna be entertaining. I think I think because he is such an unconventional dude, he just that particular style, people try to copy it and try to emulate it and, and what Biden tried it, Klobuchar tried it, they all tried it and it does not come off the same. <laughs> it really hits different when he does it. You know, as much as I dislike him, I disagree with him. There are certain things that he says, certain things that he posts where I'm like, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, that's yeah, terrible yeah. and it's awful, but it's kind of funny. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, basically, Joe Biden's role is to just not screw this up. Um, I mean, he's been absent as, as much as possible. So, I mean, considering that he can't even like form sentences, maybe it's best that he just like stay out of the limelight. <laughs> Um, so we'll see what happens, man. Um, what, uh, let me ask you a question. What, what were some of the campaigns that you worked on just for like some of the, like some of the people that listen to the podcast? Cause I mean, I can say that you've been very politically active, you know, you've been politically active, but like, what are some of the campaigns that you like really helped helped with? And what were some of the campaigns or some of the responsibilities that you had that you really enjoyed while, uh, canvassing or campaigning? Sure. Yeah. I kind of. I first started when uh, Nancy and Jad, two good friends of ours, were running for school board in New Brunswick. Um, and yeah, I kind of became their treasurer, um, I guess almost on a whim, not to downplay it, but uh, another good friend of ours, Ben, he was the campaign manager, and he hit me up one day and he's like, hey, do you want to be a treasurer? And at first, I was kind of, you know, skeptical. That's a lot of responsibility, especially I think I was in like, I was in my freshman year of college, you know, so I'm like 19, <laughs> you know, doing all this. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll do it. Sure. Um, then a few months later, that was when uh, Charlie ran for me to New Brunswick. So I was also a treasurer on that campaign. And man, that was something else. You know, I mean, seeing these <laughs> kind of things in action is really just, you know, it's something else. It's something else. I don't know if it makes me have more hope or less hope, to be honest. <laughs> a little bit of both, I would say. I also helped out a little bit with uh, Ron Rivers' campaign. He ran for state assembly. Gotcha. Um, at that same time, I'm, I, I became a committee member uh, because my uh, right. county committee district was vacant, so I wrote myself in and became a committee member. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I'm kind of just, you know, I feel like it's tough because I feel like anyone who comes in the politics as progressive or far left or whatever you can, at some point you, you get to a crossroads you know because i feel like you get to the point where you're like okay you want to win and have a voice and have a say and not get completely shut out but you also don't want to compromise on everything you believe in if that makes sense right right no no totally i mean every everybody that runs where every person that runs the first time is hopeful that they can invoke change, you know? 
um, and just make a, a huge difference to um, to their you know surrounding community. But you realize over time that in order to have like a, a safe and secure democracy, that you must compromise. Um, two people just or two different groups coming together. I mean, they don't get everything they want, but they make enough of a of, of progress with what they compromise with that you know it's a benefit to to the to the community in general. Um, let me, you know what, let me, well, since you said that, since you're talking about compromises, let me ask you a question. And I've had, I've had this conversation with a couple friends because I think it's a very good question. Okay. Uh, do you believe that a dictatorship is the most effective form of government? Hmm. I would say most efficient, <laughs> not most effective. Most efficient. Okay. That, you know what? Maybe, maybe that, maybe that question is, uh, maybe that question was asked to me with the word efficient rather than effective. Um, because dictatorships, they can always be ineffective where they, they do certain things for, you know, extended period of time and it just doesn't work. But like in terms of, uh, efficient is if you want something done, you get it done. And I mean, that's the, the con, I guess, to a democracy that everyone that is voter eligible, they have a say in who they select to you know try to make laws and do whatever in the government for them but you know considering our healthcare system considering student tuition education you, everything that's a problem you name it it just doesn't get done and it seems as though that uh form of democracy or the democracy that we have is just not getting it done um i was just curious because like there's you know a lot of people don't think about something like that and i mean a dictatorship is very dangerous depending on what side of the spectrum that you are and the side of the spectrum that uh, you see is becoming of the government or is is possible. You look at somebody like Donald Trump, where every day is just like further a constitutional crisis, where he's he's far right wing and he wants to use military to try to, you know, suppress uh, rioters and looters and protesters, uh, whether he's firing inspector generals, whether he's firing special prosecutors for certain investigation like it's a it's a real uh, i'm not gonna say it's a real possibility but like every day there's always some kind of evidence that like he's trying to assume a dictatorship whether it's you know plain or not right yeah i definitely think he has some authoritarian tendencies uh here and there yeah what let me let me ask let me ask you something else so like when you volunteered in Charlie's campaign, because he was running for mayor in November 2018. Do you think that Cahill, mayor, incumbent mayor Cahill, is a dictator of New Brunswick, or do you think it's just it is a form of democracy, but uh, it's just pretty ineffective or inefficient? Maybe at the time I was a dictator, but I think retrospectively, kind of knowing more and I feel like how he feels wrong. I think it's more of an ineffective democracy in that, mm. um, you know, he's been mayor for like 30 years, you know, and it's so common around here to have people who are mayors or state assembly people or state senators or Congress people who are in office for like 20, 30 years with no serious challenge. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, if you know Herb, Herb Tarvis, he talks about this a lot and then how basically the way that our ballot is structured and the way that the party is structured, it makes it very hard for someone who's not an incumbent to win. Because even in the primary, 
the party endorses a candidate, which is kind of, I mean, counterproductive to having a, a primary. The whole point of the primary is that the voters vote to decide who the party supports. Right. But in New Jersey, at least, in most counties, the party already decides who they support before the voters even vote. It'd be like if Joe Biden this whole time had a thing next to his name that said DNC. We know that in practice, that's kind of how it worked. And in practice, they kind of were supporting him, but they can't officially say it. New Jersey, they just officially say it. They just say, we support this candidate. We support Cahill. We support whoever. So if you're someone who, okay, to be fair, Charlie runs independent, but if you run in the primary, he was primaried in uh, 2010, I think, if running in the primary, you know, you have to kind of run on your own. And literally the party is running against you in the primary. Right. And like how counterproductive is that to democracy at that point? It makes sense in the general because there's parties in general that's how it works. But in the primary, it doesn't make any sense. And really, it's just meant to uphold those systems of power and to keep these people in office, to keep them from having any real sort of challenge, you know? Right, right. It's, um, you know, it's interesting to see, to hear you say uh, so many different candidates have just been in office for so long that like it's just you know older people that older people that have just uh stayed in office for so long it's like they just do it to collect a check at the end of the day and there's like really ineffective uh people that are politicians um you know you're a con we both had the same congresswoman uh bwc and i think she's been a congresswoman for like i don't know six eight years but i think she was like in the state assembly for a couple years um right or a couple of decades i mean it's possible but uh cahill has been mayor of new brunswick from um 20 30 he years in like, i think his... yeah he started in like 92 or 91 okay so it's, oh, it's just God. about 30 years you give another year that's 30 years um yeah and then i think charlie said his cousin uh john lynch or whatever the hell his name was was like mayor before then a convicted felon and I, the uh Pallone, who i ran against in cd6 in 2018 he um he was in there since nineteen eighty eight. So like it was exactly thirty years. Um and like the guy in Maryland, Steny Hoyer is eighty years old. I think he's been in there for thirty to forty years. Like it's it's pretty crazy, man, to see the amount of change that like doesn't happen because these old people just like won't leave. They just completely rip off the, the public pension system is like absolutely ridiculous. Um but it's really hard, man. You know, you would think that um, money would be able to solve the problem. But like I said, man, you, you see that race out in Maryland where, like, the chick ran, she ran and, like, you know, had to advertise the market and everything raised $200,000 and, like, you get 17%. I raised nothing, got 14%. We're going to go, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what, uh, what Russ is going to get in, uh, 2020, like, the, the percentage of votes. I mean, it's a, it's a presidential year. So, like, you would think that, you know, any, any primary candidate would get enough votes. But, um, you know, it's 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 a horrible time to be a primary candidate right now because of COVID. You know, before before this, yeah. like candidates were actually able to go door to door and like knock door to door, get to know voters and stuff. But like now, I think it's a worse. It's it's an absolutely horrible time to be a primary challenger that like wants to invoke change. Man, you have to depend on people getting mail in ballots and like not finding the incumbent's name on there. That's tough. They know nothing about you. Yeah, well, I think one thing I would say about lies incumbents is I think they came in with the right intentions. I think a lot of people, like, 
you know, Pallone or Cave or whoever else. I think the problem is really finding that balance between, okay, you want to do certain things and get certain things done and look out for people, but you also want to stay in office to do those things and have that power. So it's like, how do you find that balance? Because then what they keep on doing is then they compromise, like Pallone, for example, he says that in theory, he supports Medicare for all, and maybe he does, but he won't push for it because he's afraid that he won't get reelected or he's afraid it won't get passed. So he's like, eh, you know, am I going to stake my political career on this thing if I know it's not going to pass? And so it's like, where do you find that balance between those two things? That I feel like we see this every election season where they say, we have to put the House blue, we have to get more Democrats elected, we have to do this. And then it's like, okay, great, you won a majority, you won the presidency, and look at Obama, he had a supermajority almost, he had, you know, all these things, he had Democratic president, Senate, and House of Representatives, and at best, we got an individual mandate, we didn't get, we didn't get a public option. And so it's like, yeah, especially from the view of the voters and of the people on the ground, it's like, you're saying elect more Democrats, elect more Democrats, but it's like, why? What are you going to do when you, once you get elected? You want to just vote for you just because you're a Democrat? And then what, you know? Yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree, man. It's, uh, you know what, it's identity politics. I mean, from my time going door to door and trying to let voters know who I am and what I'm about, um, you hear a lot of people, they open their doors and they say, are you Democrat or Republican? And depending on your answer, they'll, they'll open the door or close the door. Um, they might be a single issue type voter where if you're for or against women's rights or Medicare for all, all that stuff, they'll vote for you or not. But you know, a lot of people are just right. fed up with the system, even though they're, they're eligible to vote and they might vote. They see a new person coming up to the door and saying, hey, um, I'm running for office. And then they just say, how are you different than the people that I voted for 20 years ago? And like they're the same old people in there that haven't done anything. You know, it's like a, you're another spoke on the wheel. You want to invoke change, but like everything you just said, um, do you want to stake your political career on one decision? Do you want to do this? Do you want to go this way? Do you want to go that way? Um, do you want to end up getting reelected? Um, yeah, dude, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of different factors. Um, you know, one yeah, thing, you know why, one, one, one thing that, one thing that's wild is, uh, you see that the, uh, the Iowa guy, uh, lost last night and, um, oh, King, that guy, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, Steve King. Uh, Steve King lost in the uh, the presidential. I mean, the uh, the representative primary, congressional primary, and uh, you know, I guess one thing that you could say about Republicans now, or at least in that district, is that maybe Republicans to under Trump are not as racist as we seem. Because once this guy was like completely admonished from uh, from the Republican Party, like he still got thirty something percent right. of the vote, which. Those those voters are horrible human beings because like they still uh, vote for anti Semitic, anti black, every anti everything uh, white supremacist. But forty five over over like fifty percent of the people in that district voted against Steve King. So like maybe those are the people that are like Republicans from like fifty to sixty years ago and weren't racist. Because um, it's it's pretty wild how that dude still got like thirty something percent. He lost, but he still got like thirty percent of the vote. And uh, in my opinion, the most dangerous people in this country are the people that still support Donald Trump in like 2020. Like they see everything that he's done. You know, the people in 2016, they can you 
you don't want to, but like you can say, okay, well, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They they saw what Hillary was about and all her lying and shit, and let you know try something new. But like, if you still vote for what you see from Donald Trump on a daily basis, it's it's like unacceptable at this point. Yeah, no, definitely right. But I think unfortunately, there's a certain contingent of the country that's never gonna like. There's nothing you can do that would make them not support him. And I feel right. like <laughs> I feel like you know that's part of the problem with you know democratic strategy over the past few years in that you know 2016 when they got Hillary in there when they tried to get Hillary in there and then this time around Biden they keep saying well we need to get the moderate voters and really there's not that many moderate voters I think really what you have to look at is turnout if you want to win election especially as a Democrat. That's why in 2018, Democrats swept the House everywhere because there was high voter turnout. People were pissed about Trump and all the stuff he was doing, and they were energized and wanted to go out to vote. You know, if we're doing some hypothetical numbers out there, you know, if 30% of people go out to vote, it's mostly going to be older people because people over the age of 50, their voter turnout is, their voter turnout is always through the roof. You know, they always, you know, 70, 75% turnout among that age right. group. It's almost more, it's always more common that, you know, white people vote, more affluent people vote. So when there's higher voter turnout, it means that there's more young people voting, more people of color, more women, more, you know, people who are lower income, the people who would vote Democrat. So you need to, so they sit there and worry about, oh, well, we have to be moderate and try to flip voters or something. No, 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 you don't have to worry about that. You have to worry about making sure this is what Republicans always do. Republicans never slight their base. Republicans never go and say, oh, well, we got to be a little moderate. We have to give liberal voters a little something here and there. No, they, they say screw that. Republicans say, you know what? As soon as we get in, everyone's getting a gun. We're cutting everything. Abortion's going to be illegal. They say all this stuff. <laughs> Democrats, they, they compromise from the beginning. From the beginning, they, instead of saying, you know, we're going to do national health care, they say, you know, we're going to expand Obamacare and increase access to healthcare, whatever that means. And it's like, how, how do you expect to inspire young people with that? How do you expect to inspire young people if you're like Klobuchar for years who was out there, you know, supporting police and law enforcement or like Kamala Harris, who was a cop, you know, like how, how are you going to get young people <laughs> to go out and support that? Yeah, no, and I mean, you know what? The the most energizing portion of the of the debates were, besides watching uh, the candidates rip up Bloomberg or Biden, was like, you know, seeing Yang Gang or Bernie. Um, you see, like the the, right. the energizing youth, right? Rather than like the moderates, because like the moderates are all going to be torn between, uh, okay, who's like more center left or who's more center? You know, you got Biden, you got Klobuchar, you got well, like you got all these all these uh, ass hats uh, running against one another. You can't even tell their their policy differences, you know. So it's like you're you're picking a hat. It's the same like moderate moderate uh, cap, but like you're trying to find which hat that you want. Yeah, I mean it's it's an unfortunate thing, really. What um so. We have a president, Senate race, House race, uh, local races. Are you still running? Are you able to run again for county committee in 2020? 
Um, that's a weird thing. County committee is usually on odd number of years, but they actually just changed it to they they like retroactively extended our terms to four years, which that was like a very controversial thing, at least in Middlesex County. Because yeah. I mean, like it's kind of messed up in general if you're gonna go, you know, if you're gonna get elected saying, you know, it's a two year term and then just change it to four just because and it was like a weird thing. Especially because we were supposed to be up for election in 2021, and they used the COVID crisis as an excuse to extend the terms. And it's like, hopefully by June 2021, things will be back to normal somewhat if we ever can go back to normal. But yeah, so for for now, I'm just kind of chilling, I guess, unless I run for anything else. But we'll see. Honestly, I'm probably trying to... Actually, I'm going to start applying soon for law school and stuff so gotcha. i might just slow okay. it down for a little while and kind of just you know focus on focus on that for the time being yeah no i don't blame you man i mean i, I see i've seen i've seen the good that you that you've done for a lot of the campaigns and like the political cause in general so i know i know you're uh you have a lot of aspirations and i hope that you achieve them um question i did have a, another question for you um so, have you gone to any of the protests uh, around the state within like the last couple of days? I actually haven't. I've been so I don't know. I've been off my game lately, honestly, with COVID and um, working from home. Honestly, is tough. It's hard to stay motivated and stuff. Um, <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> I, I I just recently started getting back on working out. Like the past, literally the past like two days. Well, yesterday I started getting back on my workout ground, which sucks because. Honestly, right before quarantine started and before gyms closed, I was probably maybe not the best shape I've ever been in per se, but I was definitely the strongest I've ever been, if that makes mm. sense. Because I usually, yeah, I usually like to lift and stuff. And dude, I was benching like I was benching two twenty five like consistently. Oh wow! For a little while, right before quarantine, I was doing I, I was consistently going you know, three or four times a week, and it was great. So it's been rough. And honestly, especially for me, because I, cause I do weights and stuff, I'm not good with uh, working out without, you know, gym equipment and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, 2020 happened to everybody. Um, and you see, oh, my God, it's just, it's something after another. You know, unemployment, I think, is, I don't know, what, 14 15%. Uh, Different states in their labor departments, they're not sending the unemployment checks on time, one-time stimulus check, and then, you know, at the height of all this, somebody is just, you know, physically apprehended by four cops and then just, you know, kneel to the neck and then, like, the dude dies and then just, you see all this shit within the last, like, week and a half. Have you uh, have you noticed any of your uh, friends or old high school colleagues that have said something that's against your belief and you've had to delete them? Have you uh, gone through that yet? Not yet. I feel like well, so I was school. I went to high school in North Brunswick, and it was a pretty. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty liberal. I feel like because we did have yeah. a good amount of diversity. You know, between you had a lot of Latino immigrants, so and a lot of uh, Asian immigrants and whatnot. And so yeah. at least I feel like even the people who, who are like low-key kind of racist are smart enough to be quiet about it, at least, you know? <laughs> like they're smart enough to know their place and to keep quiet because they know that it's not going to be cool. They definitely know one kid 
who was like full like MAGA, like still like he po- he was posting like a month. I remember seeing like a month ago he was posting on his Snapchat like Trump stuff, and I was just like, yikes. And he's like, he hasn't posted anything like that recently, and I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, funny thing is, like, I didn't, so I didn't go to high school. I didn't go to, uh, half of, like, my middle school years was, like, in Jersey, but, like, the other half, and then the rest of high school was in Georgia. So, like, I, you know, I've just gotten to know so many people over the years um, from, like, elementary school in Jersey and, like, middle school and high school in Georgia, where, like, you see people's political, you know, ideologies growing up and you know from the shit that i've seen people post on facebook and it's like god dang like nine times nine out of ten posts is just like related to uh george floyd and no i can honestly say that nobody has surprised me yet if there has been any surprises that people that i thought were very conservative were like really like supportive of this in general like this day it's not it's not been the opposite because like i can pretty much gauge from my conversations with people previously in my life or currently in my life um where they lean on this and like none of it has been a surprise but like apparently some people have been very like shocked like had to delete people um it's pretty wild man yeah i mean it has been especially seeing everyone on social media i feel like for me especially as someone who is almost i feel like at least um not to hype myself up too much. I usually try to keep pretty in tune with politics and activism and, and the like. And I feel like for me, honestly, I've kind of just been hiding from social media lately because I feel like mentally it's just so much like all the time. And, you know, that feeling of, oh man, like I'm supporting this and I, I you know, I want to support Black Lives and I want to support and I want to do more. But then also having that constant struggle of, wow, I feel like I'm really not doing enough you know mm. yeah uh do you think let me ask you this do you think that what do you think should be done more to make black lives matter stop it like not just i don't i don't want to say stop but uh more for transform from a mantra or philosophy into something concrete where like it's pretty proven that like black lives matter what do you think like should be done I feel like direct action is very effective, but I think also people maybe should get more involved in the electoral side, and maybe that's just because that's a little yeah. bit more my background. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just no, really no, that's fine, dude. Because, because I, 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 I don't know, like it's really, it's really a tough thing because you know you learn more and you you realize how much power police unions have in yeah. terms of you know getting certain things passed. But that's why, for example, I'll use the Brunswick as an example. People have brought up many times getting body cameras for all police officers. And every single time, the you know excuse is, well, there's not enough money in the budget for that. And, you know, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not. But every single time these council members run for re-election, they get tens of thousands of dollars from the police union. And the police union support them and vote for them and help them get in office. You know, again, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not. You know, those two things may or may not be related. And that's so common. There are all these different, you know, towns everywhere in America, New Jersey, wherever. Wherever you are, police unions are supporting whoever your mayor is, whoever your council members are, whoever, you know, they. So that's why 
you have all these elected officials who are hesitant to strongly take one side or the other. So for example, even the ones who are have, who have been a little bit more supportive, they'll kind of just make a general comment about this one case of George Floyd, but they won't unequivocally say Black Lives Matter, or they won't unequivocally yeah. say we need to get the police under control. Because you know, I think one thing that definitely should be done that maybe we should look into is cops maybe shouldn't be walking around with guns all the time. Maybe cops should only be walking around with tasers and batons and stuff. You know, that that's just one idea that we could throw out there. Yeah. To be fair, George Floyd was, you know, um, wasn't shot, but there are so many other cases out there where people are shot by police unarmed. Yeah. And yeah. maybe having guys who are not properly trained and who, you know, people are properly trained walking around with guns, you know, maybe not a good idea. Because there are a lot of states out there where you literally spend more time um, in training to be a hairstylist than you do to, poli- to be a police officer. <laughs> I don't know. That's fucking wild. <laughs> you know, and, and also it's it's funny, but it's sad. That you also have to look at the fact that, you know, at the very least, 40% of police officers have some kind of, you know, domestic violence or domestic abuse, you know, in their relationship. Like, that's actually a thing. Are you serious? Is that, like, an actual statistic? Yeah, you can, you can look into it. Like, it, I've, I've seen, like, reports on that. That's it's around 40%. That's and it's like, so are we surprised that there's police brutality going around? You know, if a cop goes home and beats their wife, are you super surprised that, you know, they're going to see some random dude on the street and beat him up? I'm not super surprised. No, not at all. I think the problem also comes down to, you know, police unions and and whatnot. There's a certain culture behind it, you know, especially when you look at a lot of places where a lot of people of color live, a lot of these cities, and whatnot, or, or areas that are, you know, in worse economic situations, we would call that the ghetto, or, you know, El Bobby, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. You know, <laughs> you have these white police officers from the suburbs going into these neighborhoods, and honestly, most white people from the suburbs go into a neighborhood like that and lock their doors and are all sketched out. So you can imagine how these cops are in these neighborhoods. No wonder they're so quick to draw their guns out on people every single time. Yeah, And you can ask almost any person of color out there, they have some story where they're racially profiled by the police at one point or another. Yeah. One time when I was like, I think I was 13 or 14, maybe. My brother and I were in the car driving back from, uh, well, if you know our area, we were were going, I think, to Home Depot in Milltown or East Brunswick or whatever. And we were driving down Main Street of Milltown. And my brother, you know, he's kind of a, a, a goofy guy, I guess, sometimes. He's really into cars and really old cars or those antique cow cars and stuff. And if you know anything about Milltown, Milltown is very suburban, a lot of older people. Mm-hmm. And they usually have, like, those kind of car shows there and whatnot. And a lot of the, the older guys have, you know, these cars from, like, the 50s or the 60s or whatever. And basically, my brother was kind of driving along, and he's like, oh, my God, look at that car right there. And he turns into, a de- into this, like, dead-end road take a closer look at it and coincidentally like at the same time there was this one black dude sitting in his car like on his laptop i guess 
he was sitting in front of a house that had um, an open Wi-Fi connection. He was kind of just using their Wi-Fi or something, I guess, because he was on the laptop. <laughs> and whoever lived there was like, uh, hello, police, there's a suspicious black dude out here. And we happened wow. to be there like at the same time. Three cop cars roll up and we're and they like block us from leaving. So my brother and I are in the car, like, what the hell is going on? And they like ask us to have the car, they're like searching his car. They're they were you know, I was 13, 14 years old, and they're sitting here asking me for ID. Like as if I had a driver's license or something. I and I had to tell like three different officers, I'm in middle school, bro. Like I don't know what to tell you. I don't have an ID. You know? Yeah. Wow. And, I mean, dude, we were lucky that yeah, we were lucky that we just left without incident. They were kind of just like, all right, get out of here. And it was so weird because they, they were sitting there and telling us that, oh, there's a big problem with like drugs in this area. And I'm in, in Milton. I know Milton. <laughs> was it heroin? No problem with drugs in Milton. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know? And obviously, Probably they cool. saw, they happened to see three minorities in this dead end, you know? We didn't know each other, but maybe they thought there was like a drug deal or something going on like that. And and the fact that that was like the first assumption that the, these guys made. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, dude. And I be so, fair, you, know, we, you know, we got lucky there. Yeah. I mean, luckier than a, a lot of people that you see whose names like pop up on, on Facebook posts now, man. There's like so many people of color that have just uh, unfortunately been taken out due to police brutality and just, you know, uh, severe abuse of power. Um, the police, man, it's, it's, it's fucking wild, dude. It really is. Like, it's not, it's not just the killing, like the murder of like George Floyd, but like you see the, the practices that's followed around in all the country. Um, and you see even, even the instances where people are not, um, they're not approached physically by the police, like just like cops sitting around or coming around and following people, um, tracking cars down and so forth. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head, man, where you talk about like people, uh, like cops that live in the suburbs and like they come into the inner city or the ghetto or the hood, whatever you want to call it. And like, they're, they're uncomfortable in the area period. And like every time that they come around, in the area to patrol like unless they know the people on a on a personal basis man it's like draw every time draw your gun every time you see something uncomfortable that you don't see every day where you live at um you know i i don't know the the police department in new brunswick but i'm sure that there are uh, officers in the police department in new brunswick that that live in Maybe they live in a nice section of North Brunswick. Maybe they live in Milltown. Maybe they live in Baskin Ridge or Bedminster, all these different towns. But some of them might not be in uh, New Brunswick. Some of them, you know, if they lived in New Brunswick, maybe they would be on a more personal uh, basis with some of the people that are some of the people in New Brunswick that are doing something they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, it's more like, okay, well, let me handle this on my own and not in a negative way. You know, if you see somebody selling weed, it's like, oh, well, okay, well, this person... Uh, they're selling weed. They don't have many opportunities. Maybe that's what they do. Um, let me just leave them alone. But, you know, shit like this that you see in Minnesota, man, it's like a guy. I've heard that George Floyd, he was he had like a counterfeit $20 check. And it's like, well, damn, first off, a $20 check. You you don't. I'm not gonna say you don't apprehend somebody, but you don't like physically go after the guy like we saw in the video where they were just like beating on him and in the back seat and then you like put him on the ground like this shit is like really unnecessary um for a counterfeit yeah it's wild 
Yeah, dude. Like you, you don't do that shit. I mean, like you know, most of the time, if, if you cash like a bad check or something like that, like you just the police talk to you, they give you a ticket, or, like they take you in, um, for like felony writing a bad check. But like they don't fucking put you to the ground and like that guy. Holy shit! If he's on suicide watch, man, I'll I'll definitely pay a couple dollars for me to be able to see it if it was live. Cause like that, he's just a horrible fucking human being for doing that. It's 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 pretty crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, I think one thing that. People have ignored. I think people in America tend to ignore certain problems that we are comfortable with, and I think race is one of them. Like you know, you always hear people saying, "Oh, I don't see color" or whatever, and those things are just so ridiculous. Because I think, in terms of tackling this problem, you have to look at so many people have these subconscious biases in their head, because there's so many of the situations, maybe not this one in particular, but there's a lot of others where these officers will swear up and down that they were, they felt threatened or like with Tamir Rice where they, you know, he had a BB gun and they thought it was a real gun. And it's because these guys have these subconscious biases when they see a black person or in some cases a Latino or whoever else. And their assumption is this person is dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, the assumption is this person has a weapon. This person's going to kill me. So their thought is, okay, I have to get them first. And perhaps if they didn't have those assumptions, because there's so many cases out there where a white person is straight up being aggressive with police officers, straight up like cursing them out, calling them all these names, like ready to throw hands with the cop. And the cop just is like telling them, hey, hey, calm down, sir. And like maybe handcuffs them or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas when it's, when it's a person of color, they just they get the guns drawn immediately. Half the time the people are, uh, I'm forgetting the name because there's just unfortunately so many. There was one. No, it's where, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. There was one where the guy literally like had his hands on the steering wheel and was like, "Officer, I have to let you know, you know, I'm a licensed gun owner. Like, I have a permit and everything. It's in the glove box." And the officer is like, "Okay, like, show me like your documents." And he reaches for it, and his like partner just like lights this guy up in front of his. I think it was like his no, wife the and kid. His kid. It was a, it was a wife and a kid. Yeah, 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 the wife and the kid were in the passenger. You know what I'm talking think, about? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, the guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I forgot. I think was, I like forgot that. where it was. Yeah, yeah, no, they definitely got him. Um, and I remember like the kid, the kid, the kid like saw their their dad die, uh, right in front of him with the mom too, man. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, let alone, you, at least maybe I'm just in a bubble, but at least from what I've been seeing out there, a lot of these protests that end up violent and end up you know people getting hurt and stuff, it's a lot of it is being instigated by police. You know, whether it's in, I mean, I don't know if you saw the one in New York where, well, there's a lot of stuff going on in New York with the protests, but there's one particular video where uh, the NYPD, you know, squad cars, those like SUVs, went up and straight up just like rammed into people. Yeah. I don't know yeah, if you saw that no, video on Twitter. I've, I've seen individual well, there was uh, one. police officers, they, uh, they, they uh, swiped the person's phone out of their hand because I think like the, the person had the phone. It was a chick. Um, and she yeah, was, you know, too. yeah, the guy, like, I, I guess he was really trained. Well, I guess because he, uh, he swiped the phone and he, uh, what did he do? He knocked her, he knocked her down or something like that. She like, she was pretty yeah, fucked up. And, yeah. And really, I think this kind of goes back a little bit. So I say I'm kind of connecting everything now and, uh, putting it all together. I, I feel like in America, our police are just so militarized. You have, I saw one video where the cop was sitting in riot gear and this dude, straight up looked excited to be there and 
like deep, deep. Like he was so ready to like beat someone up for some shit. And he was like, and I think the issue is that our, you know, our cops are so militarized. You have these cops that go out there and play soldier because they have all these riot gear and fancy weapons and shit. And they act like they're an occupying force. Like it, it's really ridiculous. It's really something else. You know, I think it really goes you know, into you know, the culture in some of these police departments. When you have cops walking around like an occupying force, and that's why I say maybe we should look into not letting cops have guns. Or maybe if they do have guns, they can only walk around with like rubber bullets or something. I don't know. But maybe they shouldn't be walking around with, you know, the same kind of weapons that our soldiers do in Afghanistan, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, uh, you know what? It's... Um... I was at a I was at a wedding in Germany uh, in August, and uh, at the table I was sitting uh, next to a friend of a friend, and you know me being me, I'm gonna ask about political and social issues at a at a, at a table uh, at a wedding ceremony. So uh, I was asking him like, what like what do you think about the states? He's like, well, why do you first off, why do you guys have so many guns? Like that's definitely what people think outside, like outside of the United States. That's what they think because uh, every time they see something happen, just like you see now, it's always related to like a gun. Um, so we're just like going back and forth, and we're having this conversation. And he says, yeah, dude, the thing in like Germany is like you don't use your gun. Um, that's just the system here. Like you should, you should try every form of mediation possible and not use a gun. Like try to talk, like, you know, if you, if you want to hit the person with your car or something like that, like do it in in the safest way possible, but don't draw your gun because um, when you draw your gun, that's basically what the U S looks like on a daily basis. Just like unarmed people getting shot every day. Um, whether it's white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, but you know, clearly from what you've seen the last couple of weeks, it's uh, disproportionately black people that uh, that end up getting shot. So like it's 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 the militarization of our police officers, um, having the gun on them, always being ready to just pull it out, whether it's for show, whether it's for intimidation, whether it's for use. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy, and you know this shit this shit has gotten so bad in the last week and changed um, that I've had three different friends from Germany like message me or call me just like asking, "Are you all right? Are you okay?" Like it's 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 pretty ridiculous to this point that it's not just an intra company, I mean intra country problem, but the fact that people outside of the U.S. are seeing this. And they see the reasoning behind it and the reason for the protest, the reason for the looting and the rioting. And they look at this and they say, wow, there's something up with like the American treatment of black individuals. And for the people that I personally know, like they, they reach out to me, they're like, Hey, are you all right? Like there's something, there's something wrong with that in terms of like the U S anytime that people from outside of the country are, are looking at the situation that's going on and they say, wow, that's a really fucked up system. Like we should show our support. Like we don't do that for anything that's going on outside of the, outside of our country, you know, like we don't, we, you know, outside of probably Iran and North Korea and probably Cuba, like we don't really care what other countries are doing to its people. We don't care about the, um, the genocide going out. I think it's like in Cambodia or something like that. Um, we don't care about the way that China's trying to take over Hong Kong and Taiwan. Like we don't care about that stuff. You know, we, we don't, you don't see us protesting yeah. that, but for something like this, like it's, it's pretty alarming that you see 
a lot of countries outside of the U.S. that are taking a stance on this and saying, "A, you guys uh, fucked up again," but like B, uh, this is a this is a, a social problem. This is this is something that we don't know much about the history of your country, but we know it's a lot of wars and a lot of like oppression. Um, and I think it, it stems from the fact that I don't know about many other countries' histories, um, but the U.S. is basic is basically it's it's on a history of a winner and a loser um, where like the Europeans came here, they took all the land and they brought slaves where like, clearly there was a winner and a loser, like the slave owner versus the slave and a winner and a loser of, okay, well, native Americans had this land, but now we have it. We formed a government, we build roads and all this shit on it. Um, but that's, that's like the history of this country. You know, uh, the first two people that got here were um, the slave owner and the slave. Like that, that, that's basically, that predates history of this country. That, that, that's just, it's a sad history, but like you look through the years and you're seeing every, uh, ethnic group that has just been marginalized, you know, whether it's, um, Mexicans that come here looking for work, um, Mexicans lived in Texas before the state of Texas even began. Uh, the U.S. took over all that shit, California, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, all that shit. And they said, OK, well, we're still going to ban you from coming here. The Chinese Exclusion Act, internment camps for the Japanese, like 400 something years of institutional racism on black people. Um, it's, you know, I, every other country, it seems like it's so homogenous that there's no um, institutional racism until there's a large enough uh, population to be able to, you know, institute such policies that denigrate that ethnic group. But like, you look at the U S man, you look at every culture here, there has been some form of racism uh, towards them. And it's like, it's, it's, it's what this country is really built on. Like it's, it's like impossible to get racism out of the country because it's, it's really uh, the foundation of it. In my opinion. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because like one thing I've always noticed is definitely a trope, generally among older people, conservatives, just in general, those types, that you know, someone who's young and ends up going to college, they become like super ultra liberal because they went to college or something. But I do think that the more you learn about some of our institutions and the way that even when it comes down to the way that our towns and cities, everything are designed, are meant to, you know, keep these systems in place. I, I took one class that was uh, called uh, globalization. And uh, in that class, we kind of talked a lot about how, you know, starting in the 50s, America started to, after World War II, America really started to become a lot more suburbanized. Like, I mean, we're the only country that has so many suburbs. You know, no other country. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Every other country, (laughs) you're either in a city somewhere or you're rural. Like, that's it. Yeah. And in America, that became a thing because you had all these white folks who came back from World War II or Korea or whatever, had the GI Bill, had decent income, and they wanted their own house. They wanted to get away from the dirty inner cities with all the minorities and the poor people and the homeless. So they went to the suburbs where all of those undesirables, you know, couldn't get to you know, and then they invented the shopping mall. Because if you think about what a shopping mall is and what it looks like and what it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to emulate, you know, your typical downtown, you know, with the storefronts and, the, you know, shopping and, 
it's like the town center and everyone's there and blah 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 it's all of that but minus any protests or you know people trying to canvas or homeless people asking Hmm. for money or minorities or graffiti or whatever it's basically a cleaned up version of that and if you think about most malls where they're located you need a car to get there you can't there's, there's almost no mall that's within a walking distance of like your house or like public transport and what that yeah. does is it keeps their poor people out you know make sure that you have to be like at a certain income threshold to go to the mall you know they have mall security yeah. which is basically like a private almost police force so a homeless person can't go into a mall and start asking people for, asking people for money because they were kicked out. And so it is just so interesting that our country really has been built that way. And that there is no easy solution to a lot of our problems because of that. Because you have so many places where white people are so far removed from, you have some towns where it's literally 90% white or 95% white. And then you have a town like Edison, which is so incredibly diverse, like New Brunswick, which is so incredibly diverse, you know? Yeah. Or you have all I, these. Um, sorry. Um, I, I took a I took a class at Rutgers my sophomore year. It was minority groups in American society, and the guy did a great job of uh, teaching that class. Um, <clears throat> and he highlighted one instance where you're talking about like the the country and like after the '50s. So he gave an example of uh, I don't know how much like how much you know of North Jersey, but like he gave an example of when the interstate system was being built in the fifties under Eisenhower and how a lot of white people lived in Newark at the time and like when seventy eight was being constructed, like that shit I don't know who the hell was living in like Livingston or um Caldwell, like all these like upper middle class to wealthy uh Essex County towns but like when 78 was getting built like there was a like they were going to divide Newark from the rest of what you see of Essex County and it seems as though from like what what we were learning in that class was like a lot of people like a lot of white people they were able to move out to Livingston move out to Caldwell move out to Milburn move out to Short Hills move out to Maplewood and like that where you see like those wealthy towns, like apparently that's where they got their start where it looks like 78, like interstate 78, you know, it's great for transportation and great for commerce and all that shit. But like, if you look at the the living of Newark, a lot of those people, it was like a white flight where they moved from like the inner city where everyone was living amongst each other and they moved to the suburbs. And like, that's where you see a lot of the people that live out in the suburbs where they live amongst each amongst each other and whatever's going on in the inner city, they say, you keep that shit where it's at. I'm going to stay 10 miles away from it. So I don't see of it. I don't hear it. I'm good with me. And one other thing I learned from that class, because it was, it was a really good course was the, the professor, he was a white guy, awesome guy. And he was, he told us, he said, you know, if you think about it, when minorities or people of color, when they, you know, get enough or invest enough money or do whatever, when they're able to, when they want to come up, they move to a neighborhood where it's diverse and they see other people of other colors. And he said, when you see that in like white communities, like when you see when white people are living in a, in a community, maybe they're a little uh, lower income or so forth, when they get enough money, they move into a neighborhood that's homogenous 
or they just live in a in a in a place where the next neighbor is like a mile or two miles away. And like you see it, like if you go out to like Huntington County or Salem County and all that shit, like there's there's you might see a house like every mile or something like that. But like if you go to Milburn or you go to uh, Bedminster, Baskin Ridge, like all these crazy ass wealthy towns, like you have to be wealthy to be to be there. And not saying that black people aren't wealthy, but like you look at like where some black wealthy people live, they might not live there. Because, you know, you look at you look at the percentage of like people that live in those towns and like that's enough to scare you off. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's like, wild, dude. <laughs> I think it's such a uniquely American problem in that, you know, we really do hold ourselves back so much because we're always thinking about the individual or thinking about ourselves so much. You know, one example is that people a big concern every election is taxes, oh taxes, local taxes, state taxes, property taxes, this tax, that tax. And really like you see it so much in terms of, you know, you look at our school systems, how, how different schools are in one of those wealthy areas versus like Newark and whatnot. And really if people, you know, took their heads out of their ass and kind of realized that look, no one likes paying taxes and higher taxes suck. But when you look at all of our you know, friends in Europe, they do a lot better than we do because they have higher taxes. So, for example, think about all these people, people that live in the suburbs and say all day long that they want lower taxes, lower taxes, lower taxes. But then we'll spend thousands of dollars getting all of these random swings and equipment for their backyard for their kids to play in. When it's like, listen, Dad, if you just paid a little bit more in taxes, if you and all your neighbors just paid a little bit more in taxes, y'all could have a really nice park, a nice big park in your neighborhood. All your kids can play together in that fucking park and call it a day. But no, you want lower taxes so you can spend thousands of dollars buying your own personal playground for your kids. And like, how ridiculous is that? And that just, that's just one example that I, I, I thought about the other day because my neighbors, even though my neighbors are, Latino, they have like, they've got like a whole like little swing set and slide thing in their backyard for their kids. And like those things are, and they did that, but we literally live like less than a 10 minute walk from a park that already has all of those things. <laughs> and so many people do this. And it's like, listen, if we just had a little bit higher taxes, we could afford all of these good things. People want to spend yeah. thousands of dollars to send their kids to that nice private school, that nice Catholic school, whatever. If our taxes are just a little bit higher, we can have all of our public schools be really, really good. Or people yeah, will spend books, thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. People will say, well, free college for everything is too expensive, but then they'll spend, they'll, you know, waste years and years and years, you know, saving money for a college fund for their kids. Or their kids will have to take out all of these tens of thousands in loans get through college when it's like you know what maybe if we just you know it's what 70 billion dollars i think it, it was the amount roughly to it's about that yeah I think that was the plan. yeah yeah if you just tax some of these rich people like honestly jeff bezos could pay for that on his own like if we just <laughs> took his money we could pay for that for everyone and we would yeah, live in yeah. a much better society <laughs> you know and all, all these different things that you look at for example, healthcare. You know, if we just had, if everyone just paid literally like one or two percent more, and it, again, it works out. If you look at the Bernie Sanders plan for universal healthcare. We end up spending, 
each family ends up uh, paying like five thousand dollars less or something in healthcare every year. Right. Right. No, totally, dude. And I mean, it's a, it's, you know what? The re- the reason why we even have to have conversations about this is because like the rich just disproportionately pay less. And I think there was a study done. Um, oh shit! I think I got like five minutes, five or six minutes left. But um, <clears throat> I think there was a there was a study done. Uh, the results came out a couple months ago that said that for the first time, um, the rich pay less of a percentage of their taxes, uh, uh, less lesser of a percentage of their income in taxes than like the middle class. So if you have a system like that, you know, anytime you come up with uh, a subject like Medicare for all, college for all, like it's it's going to be derided because the the middle class is paying their their more of the lion's share of taxes in terms of percentage wise and anytime that the rich are not paying their their fair share that they should be paying um it's it's it seems like a lost cause you know it, it's pretty awful like those are the people that um are the reason why we have this situation there that's the reason why we don't have better public school. That's the reason why you have people that want to build a park in their backyard rather than use the neighborhood park. Um, that's the reason why you have people paying about like thousands of dollars for like summer daycare rather than going to like the community daycare or what not daycare, but like community, you know, summer programs. Um, it's, it's pretty fucking crazy, dude. And I think you, you, again, you hit the nail on the head about like how individualized it is. I would rather have the benefit for myself and my kids than to, you know, share it with others. Like if there's a park there, I would rather put a park in my backyard. Of course, it's easy accessibility and like your kids can always go to the backyard to play. And the parks might not always be open, especially if it was like a month ago. Um, but, you know, there, there's a thing about sharing things with, with others in terms of like community standards, um, whether it's the community pool, whether it's, you know, public school, public school isn't good enough for some people. They would rather their kids receive a religious education or they don't believe in the school system uh itself or they just homeschool in general um it's it's so many different things dude um did you question did you have anything else like did you have any questions for me or anything hmm. <laughs> I, I think about that one i know i'm like an open book dude <laughs> i say whatever the hell you know, is like on my mind everything hmm? you think we got like five six minutes left all right so i don't change the topic too much um, what's your, what's your most controversial political take right now? Political take? Most controversial? Yeah. Like, you, you know, so I'll start with mine. I'll start with mine because I feel like I keep seeing this. People keep posting this on like on all my social media. And I keep seeing them that you know you're. I'm gonna unfriend you if you're silent about this, or if you're not, <laughs> you know. I see all these people who are who normally don't really give a shit about politics, and now that this happened, they're all like, "Oh, if you're not constantly posting about, you know, George Floyd and all this stuff going on, if you're not donating, if you're not out protesting, you're not doing this, you know, I'm not unfriend you. You're not supportive. You're you're I got you. a bad person or something. I got you. And I, I I totally disagree with that because I feel like one, like different people have you know different capacities. Some people don't have the mental capacity necessarily to handle all this that's kind of where i'm at right now where i'm kind of just like already so overwhelmed with all the shit that's going on where i'm like wow i don't have anything else that i could put in right now you know or but and also i I, you know i see people i see so many people a lot of uh white people that i know who 
will casually say the N-word, but then they post the black screen on Instagram and think, oh, I did what I have to do. I'm good. And I think it <laughs> yeah, yeah, into, yeah. No, totally. I think, I think it feeds into that when you're sitting there saying you have to be posting on social media about these things. You have to, you know, be showing your support publicly because then you have these people who don't really give a shit who are out there posting all this stuff, not really meaning it and just doing it for brownie points because they think that people will like them if they, you know, post a black screen with the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Not that I'm saying that people shouldn't be supportive, but is that, but I guess what I'm saying is that um, we should be careful not to just let people virtue signal and get away with it, if that makes sense. Right. Right. And you know, my, my thing is, and uh, I'll, uh, on an ending note, I'll, I'll take it back to uh, what we discussed at the beginning of the, of the, of the podcast or the episode is that I don't, and I posted, I posted on Facebook, like I don't hold every single one of my Facebook friends to voice their opinion on this. I have noticed through the years of what people's beliefs are i don't need an obligatory facebook post for them to say whether i'm for or against like a not every not every one of my facebook friends are on facebook on a daily basis they're not on a, on a weekly basis like they just do it just to have it but you know i don't i don't need to i don't need to delve further into somebody's like facebook post to know what they're all about like i can i can pretty much see it on the surface right now but Facebook is like social media is exhausting. Seeing 90% of your feeds flooded with George Floyd and whether you're for or against is mentally exhausting. Um, but like, dude, like, I, I, I really don't think that maybe it's controversial, but like, I don't, I don't think everybody should need to voice their opinion because now it's just, it's just reactionary. Like, you know, I'm a black dude. If I want to voice my opinion on something like this shit is personal to me. Not saying it's not personal to any, anybody else, but like if anyone's going to have an opinion, it's going to be me. Like, I don't need uh, a person, like a non black person that's never on Facebook to like hop on Facebook this one day to like make their opinion and then just disappear. Like, it's, it's unnecessary, you know? Like, the way, the way that people are sharing this shit is it, it's, it's hugely important. It's hugely important to the, like, on behalf of the country and hugely important to me, but, you know. I'm not I'm like I'm not going to delete people. I'm not going to get mad at people for being uh silent on this. I know who they are from being silent, but like it's expected at this point. That's just my personal relationships with the people that I know whether they're friends or associates. Um it's just dude, it's 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 a, it's a shitty situation that happened. It's a horrible situation. Uh it's a horrible situation that the country is in and what people from outside of the country are, are seeing at this. But like on a person-to-person basis, man, I think most people should know um, who their friends are, who supports what, who doesn't support what, and not be surprised by who's silent. Because some of the people that are silent are actually on your side. They just won't, don't want to fucking deal with the obligation that uh, public pressure on social media has has put on them. Um, that's just my take on it, dude. Um like I said, I've, I've grown up in Georgia and I've grown up in Jersey. Like I've gone from super liberal to super conservative. I know who the people on my friends list, what they support. Doesn't surprise me. I'm not going to delete them. Um, the most that I can do, we all have different capacities and how we deal with this. Some people just voice on Facebook, me, myself, man, I'm not going to delete anybody. If those people are angry at what happened and they're angry at George Floyd rather than a police officer, they can continually 
continually see me on Facebook until the, until they see, until they get to a point where they don't want to see my face anymore. Um, that's just where it's at, man. Yeah, I you know, it's controversial. <laughs> me personally, man, like, I've, you know, go ahead. I've only recently gotten to the point where I stopped getting into Facebook arguments with people. I've been, you know, because honestly for me, I don't know what it is, but I've always been the type where when someone says some bullshit on Facebook or on, yeah. you know, whatever, my instinct is to just go in and start, you know, going back and forth. And lately I just, part of it is I don't have the energy for it. And also part of it is I'm like, okay, I need to, you know, be serious. Like this is a good, realistically, most people that I'm arguing with aren't going to change their minds because I come from it, <laughs> you know, let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the good surprises that have, have come from some people that I've seen on Facebook that, uh, that I thought were leaning another way, but they end up in support of the same thing that I'm in support of, which is great. Um, so we'll see how this, we'll see how this, uh, how this turns out as in the resolutions that'll come probably a few weeks or a few months, hopefully not a few, uh, centuries from now, but uh, we're going to see how this plays out, man. Thank you so much for, uh, being on the world according to Walker. Again, this is our sixth episode. Uh, Ariel, you've been absolutely wonderful. This podcast episode, community activist, uh, political elected official, like, and hopeful law school, uh, attendee. So thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. All right, everyone. This is the sixth episode. Thanks so much. And, uh, talk to y'all later. Bye-bye.